0: this is samantha and you're listening to the layman's doctor podcast where we're bringing medicine home and oh my gosh guys this is the first podcast that i am recording with my new podcast mic because um i kept getting complaints mostly from my editor about how loud my mic was and you know i was using my laptop mic to do all of the recordings and you know, when I got the new mic, I kind of realized why my laptop mic was so loud. But I am in love with how this mic sounds. I've tested it a few times. I really hope that it sounds great on the podcast. As usual, we're using Zencast. So we're doing this all online from the safety of our homes during COVID time, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing every podcast episode and you know of course that um i'm gonna ask i'm back home just you know if you're if there are noises in the background just bear with us you know everybody's home and we're recording this at about 6 p.m so i do expect us to have some noises we'll try and minimize that as much as possible in continuation of kind of a mini series that i'm doing Um, where we talk about external examinations. I am here. We're talking about PLAB today with Dr. Rochelle Smith. We had a conversation about USMLE the other day, mostly about how to start the process of getting the exams. And I'm hoping very soon that we'll have another conversation about the match process and the interview process as well. But I know that not everybody... Um, may want to go to the states, or you know, persons are interested in knowing what other options are out there. And we have spoken a little bit about the PLAB examinations just a little bit in one of my past um podcast episodes. Um, but I thought we could have another conversation just going through what happens how to do it why to do it blah 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 stuff like that just so more of us can know what options are out there so i'm going to invite dr rochelle smith she is one of my classmates one of my batchmates who has done the examination and i'm just gonna ask her to introduce herself tell us a little bit about herself and we're just gonna go right into the conversation so, hello, everybody. I am so
1: excited to be on this. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. um so, as she said, yeah, I'm one of her batchmates. We graduated in two thousand and nineteen, so we've been practicing for a little bit now um and during that time, I had done the plab exams, and I'm getting ready to start my job in England. um a bit about myself, I mean. I have ambitions to work in neurology specifically in stroke medicine Um, I had a baby recently so that's taking up most of my time at the moment Um, but yeah looking forward to letting you guys know a little bit more about the PLAB exams and the questions that you guys have
0: directed to us. Okay thank you so much so let's get right into it what is the PLAB examination you know? Um, I'm just pretending that you're listening to this and no, you don't even know what it is. Um, and we can see how basic we can get um, Get it to be.
1: Okay, so the PLAB exam stands for the Professional and Linguistics Assessment Board. Uh, essentially, it's a medical licensing exam for all foreign doctors who want to work in the UK Um, Just in the same way you have the USMLE for being the US medical licensing exam. So it's essentially just the UK equivalent of that.
0: Okay, and I'm seeing where I always thought PLAB was just one exam, but it sounds like it's actually two examinations.
1: Yes, so um, the PLAB exam is split into two parts. So you have a part one and a part two. Um, The part one is more of it's like an mcq exam um and then the part two is an osce, so looking more at your clinical skills so it's split into those two aspects to essentially assess you in an academic way as well as in a clinical way so that's the whole point of the exam
0: it sounds very mbbs like which makes sense because our system is very like uk Type, um. So I don't know. You have actually done. You've done both of them.
1: Yes, I've done both of the exams now. So I've passed both of the exams, and I have my GMC registration ready to start work now. So
0: okay. So would you compare it to MBBS? Is it comparable? Yeah, it's very very similar
1: to MBBS in terms of both the question style as well as the actual content itself in terms of I guess revision if you want to say it like that. I did it fairly soon after I finished MBBS so I found that I didn't have to dust off the books all over again because um, literally had just finished MBBS so um, it was more so just the practicing of the way they ask the questions but Mm -hmm. definitely the content was comparable and made the whole experience a little bit easier I think
0: okay so you really think that doing it after mbbs was really beneficial I have a few questions um I don't know if you would know but do you have to do it like plab one then plab two or can you do it in any order kind of like similar to usmle
1: Okay, so the difference from USMLE, there are two main differences. So the first difference is when you can sit the plab exam versus USMLE. So you would note that a lot of people sit part one of USMLE usually around third, fourth year of medical school and then Mm -hmm. tend to do part two after they finish final year. Um, for the PLAB exams, however, the difference is that you have to have a primary medical um, qualification before you can register to sit the exam. So it's a it's a exam f- for doctors, right? It's not okay. for medical students. So you have to have completed MBBS before you can register to do PLAB. Um, so that's the first difference. The second difference um, is that... Um, unlike US Emily, where you can kind of do the steps asynchronously, you have to do part one of PLAB and then part two, because essentially it's testing first your book knowledge and then your clinical knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the way it's set up to be. Um, So yeah, you can't do it in different, in the different order. It has to be one than the other.
0: Almost before I forget, how much did it cost like the exams themselves how much do you think like it's a ballpark figure of how much you paid
1: okay so um obviously the cost of the exams is in pounds so mm-hmm. um for the for the, well, it's significantly cheaper than um doing USMLE so first of all you have your part 1 test which is around 180 to 200 pounds and then it changes year to year um, I must say that and then the part two is usually more expensive and that's usually around 850 pounds for that. Um, Obviously this you also have to take into account money to be able to travel to different places to sit the exams, um, accommodation if you need that, visas if you need it. As Mm -hmm. well as um, any resources you pay to use to assist you in terms of studying or preparing for the exam as well. So um, I think all in all, you probably spend somewhere between they they tend to quote between five to six thousand pounds um, Mm -hmm. for the whole experience, um, which. It's significantly cheaper than um, US Emily which can go up to as much as 10,000 pounds sometimes so
0: it is a cheaper
1: it, it is a cheaper exam for sure.
0: I mean I think if maybe we look at the exchange exchange rate um, right yeah I'm, I'm wondering i'm wondering so six thousand pounds currently in jamaican dollars and today's the fifth of july it says it's about 1.2 million and then ten thousand usd is about 1.4 so it is significantly cheaper i guess but then again it also depends on your own situation like where um where you're staying um the cost of travel Uh, getting a visa and really stuff like that for sure for sure and I mean I think persons can tell from your accent that you are British or you're from the UK yeah I'm -hmm. from the
1: UK I grew up there and I came to Jamaica to go to university and then obviously to work afterwards so that Mm -hmm. does put me at a an advantage merely only from the passport point of view in terms of not requiring Uh a visa but in terms of considering my degree is from outside of the UK I still have to follow all the other steps so there's only Mm -hmm. a very slight advantage from me having a UK passport because pretty much I've had to go through every other step as a foreign graduate if that makes sense.
0: Yes definitely, definitely makes sense and Um, I think I also wanted to, because one thing we talk about a lot in terms of cutting costs is just going where your family is. So, for example, if you have family in Florida or friends, even anybody who you can kind of catch with, who you feel comfortable catching with, that you kind of maximize on those opportunities that you may have so that it, it, it can cost a little less because when you're doing these external examinations you have to really decide say, okay i am going to spend a pretty penny no matter how you put it um and it's it's really a big commitment at that point and here i'm just really trying to get persons to know about the information but also maximize on on the exams i don't know if i said that right but basically you know, do it once, do it right. You know, measure, measure two right. times and cut once. Right. But so that's just a little bit about it. I, I, I want to actually know. I don't know if I should go into what you use to study for it and what resources you used. I know that in another podcast, um, that I had discussed with Tariq Doctor Parker, that yes. he had spoken about, um. Like for the OSCE, the OSCE part of the exams that they actually had trainings. I don't know if I'm even using the right words because I can't, I'm racking my brain on what he called it, but kind of like a, like a, like an exam prep set yeah. where they really show you how to do like that a simulation. Yes, exactly. So I think before we jump into how you prepared for it, how did you go about signing up for it? Did you need any special kind of certification first? Um, Did you need Mm -hmm. to get UWE involved, you know, get your transcripts brought over, stuff like that?
1: Right. So, as I mentioned before, you have to have your primary medical qualification before you can um, actually do it, right? So, that requires you to have passed MBBS. So, you would obviously have an MBBS qualification in hand. Um, so that's the first thing. So you definitely have to have that. The second thing now is that um, for for the PLAB exam, as opposed to the USMLE, you have to show evidence of English proficiency. Mm-hmm. So essentially what that is requiring you to do is to... It's very weird considering Jamaica is a um, a you know, a British territory, um, you still have to show that you you have to show that you can speak English. So some people before have gone through the whole system of doing the IELTS or OET examinations, which are essentially just exams that you can sit to demonstrate your proficiency in English, but obviously that's another Mm -hmm. course. Being in school in England, and then come to Jamaica, which is an English speaking con- country, I was really not about that. So I just started mm-hmm. to explore what other methods I could use to show English proficiency. And essentially, they gave me an outline of what they would do to accept it, they need a certified It's like a form which is essentially just saying that your degree was taught solely in English and the clinical portion was taught solely in English and all of that. And that's signed Mm -hmm. by um, the faculty and then you submit that to the General Medical Council as part of your application. So I actually created that form as a template and it's at Faculty of Medical Sciences. So anybody who needs it, you just essentially plug in your... Um, your graduation date and your reference number from the GMC and you have that available to send to them so it's really just that your MBBS certificate evidence of Mm -hmm. English proficiency and then sometimes another form of identification like a valid passport those are the things that they're looking for and that's it you create the profile online
0: sorry can you just repeat one more time where they can find that form The form that proves that they speak english
1: (laughs) so you can go to the faculty of medical sciences at ua dean's office and you can ask them for the um, english proficiency letter you just need to provide your gmc reference number which you get when you automatically when you start your profile on the gmc and your um, graduation date and they just plug those two things in It gets signed by the dean and you have the form then to submit as part of your application. And that will exempt you from doing IELTS or OET, which is, you know, usually an extra 150 to 250 um, U.S. dollars.
0: Okay, fantastic. That's actually really awesome to hear that um, not only did you solve a problem for yourself, but you also left it behind. So, hey, other persons can also benefit from this. Exactly,
1: yeah. (laughs)
0: what did i know you did it right very quick after mbbs and you're um you did very well also in mbbs and uh, so what did you use to study or how did you study or do you know of any kind of like what's the word resources for persons that are really geared towards plab and doing well in plab Um, so that they can also, you know, be more prepared for these exams?
1: Sure. So, um, I definitely still had to prepare for PLAB, even though I had done well in MBBS, because MBBS was good merely from a content point of view, but you still have to get used to the way people ask questions. So, Mm -hmm. it was a lot more, for me, it was geared a lot more to exam preparation. So, I used two question banks, um, online question banks. One has a really nice app and was really user friendly and that one was called Plabbable. Um, And you essentially you sign up for a subscription of, you know, three months, six months or whatever. um, And you just work your way through the different question banks and it will tell you your progress. It will tell you where you rank versus other people who are sitting the exam on the same date as you. So you kind of get a feel of where you are. Are you in the middle ground or are you in the higher end or do you have more work that you need to do? Um, and it was really nicely organized. You know, it was split, for example, medicine. It was split the topics into cardiology, endocrinology. So you can see your scores based on those subspecialties and know if there are certain places you need to do more work in. What I also liked about that particular app is that um, it gave a thorough explanation um, what as to why the answer was what it was, so you could kind of learn as you go without having to read other sources. Um, in addition to that, it also gave you further links where you could read the information for yourself as to where they got their explanation from. So you could do further reading if you were so inclined. Um, so yeah, I found that app very, very helpful. That's plammable. Um, The other one I signed up for was something called Pass Test, which can be used for many different other exams, including the further exams like the Royal College exams, um, that's your MRCP or MRCS exams. Um, it also has banks for those. So I found that one also very helpful. But the issue was that it didn't have an app that I could download to my phone. So it wasn't quite as good for the on the go type thing like clavable. I had to literally sit down at a computer or at my laptop to be able to do that one. So it wasn't quite as user friendly, you know, when you're you're working or you're on duty and you have some downtime you could just you know do a couple of questions and keep things ticking over when you use plabbable i also got some past test books which i bought online um they had a series of four books plab 1 2 3 and 4 um the issue with getting books for PLAB is that, as we learned in medical school, um, most of these things end up being outdated by the time you are using them. So I would suggest more so use one of the online question banks, which are more um, regularly assessed and updated for changing guidelines. So I had the books. It was helpful from merely from a point of view of how they ask questions but i don't think i think that quite a bit of the information was outdated so yeah those are the main things that i use to prepare for Plab
0: one that is and those came at a cost
1: the subscriptions right so Plabable is probably the most affordable i think for three or four months subscription it's 20 pounds or 25 pounds mm-hmm, not bad which Which is really not bad at all, given how much information they give you and how well laid out it is. So I found it was definitely worth the money Um, and you can always get it um, either renewed or get your subscription extended as well for a Mm -hmm. smaller cost. So that was good. Um, Right. So that was... I, I i can't remember how much it was with past tests but it was more expensive than Plabable and i used it less so um i can't really speak so much for its value for money but it was just because it was harder for me to use on the go but Plabable mm-hmm. was definitely worth the money
0: okay and uh, so those were for plab one which is the mcq what right. did you do for plab two
1: Okay, so for PLAB two, since essentially I had said to myself I will try and do an exam a, a year, so I did one in internship, and the next one I did when I was in SO just starting SHO. Um, really, um, a lot of the clinical skills that you would be doing in your day to day life really help you towards doing things for PLAB two because it's a clinical based osce exam. Mm-hmm. Um, But you do have to practice in terms of like um, have a study partner or so that you can practice going through the scenarios. That person doesn't necessarily have to be doing PLAB as well, but um, it's always helpful. I I actually joined a I guess kind of like a course which is not an absolute Mm -hmm. given you don't necessarily have to join a course but I decided to join one because I didn't know anybody who was sitting the exam along with me the people that were supposed to had deferred at the time Mm -hmm. so um, I needed people that I could kind of practice with and such so I joined an academy called Aspire Plab Academy which is based in Manchester in England um, okay. but had a lot of stuff online, given the whole COVID situation. And they used to do a lot of workshops um, to kind of basically tell you common scenarios. And they also do a pre- exam predictions, um, exam predictions session as well, where quite a lot of those topics came up in the exam. So I found that very helpful. Um, also through that, I was able to find some people that I could practice with. Um, the only issue is, is that a lot of these people are usually from the other side of the world so from india um on um, some people in some african countries like nigeria and such so the time difference was often very difficult to work around with them um and some of them were not are not working at the same time that they're studying for the PLAB exam because in some of the other countries, it's like their main focus is to pass the exam and get to England. Mm-hmm. So I found that a little bit difficult because I was obviously working as an intern and then eventually yeah. an SHO at the same time as trying to study for the PLAB2. Um, but realistically, you don't need a lot of time to study for PLAB2. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it took me about, of solid studying, probably about five or six weeks of solid studying and practicing every single day. Um, and I found that that was sufficient because the scenarios tend to repeat themselves in terms of not necessarily the absolute content, but at least the scenario. So it's kind of easy for you to kind of know what they're expecting at, certain stations
0: if that makes sense okay i like the fact that you said that you were working while you were studying because (laughs) i think a lot of persons will not necessarily be able to take time off to dedicate study time to exams right and um especially because they have to pay for these exams and the only way to really get money is if you're working that's exactly how it was for me a lot of persons will also like the fact that it's i don't want to say easy to prepare for but because you've done similar. mbbs and it's so sim similar and it's you know it's something that you just kind of have to learn how they ask questions how to do the exam styles and i really like the fact that you can do distance learning for it as well which is right. great um and they have resources out there so so far we have you know it's affordable it's simpler and maybe before covid this is something you could just you know take a little five days off hop on a plane do the exams come back so all you had to fly to the uk to do the exams um i actually
1: for plaque two for one. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, there are other sites that are available, so it really depends where you have access to. So, okay. So um, for me, I went to Canada to do my, to Toronto, to do PLAB 1, because it was closer mm-hmm. and it was obviously cheaper to fly to Canada than it is to fly to England. Yeah. Um, I had family that I could stay with, as you mentioned before, it's, you know, you can cut the cost if you know people that live places. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I did my part one of PLAB. Um, and then for part two, now you have to do that in the UK because it's at a specific center which allows them to. The whole point of it is to make it standardized, right? Because the written examination is obviously standardized based on the fact that it's a written examination, but it's hard to standardise a clinical exam with different patients and things like that. So they do that mm. at one, one centre and they have a purpose-built centre at the GMC headquarters in Manchester, which is specifically dedicated to those exams. So, you know, they have all the mannequins and the rooms are purpose-built for an OSCE, as opposed to it just being okay. like a hospital ward or whatever
0: so how long did the multiple choice exam take the plab one um rough estimates (laughs) 180
1: minutes (laughs) yeah it's 180 minutes for plab one
0: that's like two oh is my math right two hours and a half what's 12 plus that's three hours yeah three about three Three hours. hours long and do you happen to remember how many questions they asked? a 180
1: questions.
0: Okay. Okay. And the PLAB 2, do you have actual patients or they use mannequins? Because um, I'm not sure if it's a mixture of both or, you know, just mannequins that we refer to as patients.
1: I mean, it's hard for me to say because I did my exam during COVID. So they had no people for us to examine because... Okay. They need. They needed things they could sanitize between persons. So um, my examination stations were. I had only two examination stations, and they were on mannequins. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest were a mixture of history, counselling, and mm-hmm. they have something which is unique. I think it's unique to PLAB, which is something called a sim man station, which essentially is. It's a, a mannequin, but a full body mannequin um, mm-hmm. that is hooked up to a sound system slash, slash speaker where a person in another room is essentially talking for the mannequin. But this mannequin blinks. It can be febrile. It, mm-hmm. it can, you know, it blood can come from places and all sorts of things. So it, it's like a real life situation which is evolving and it's about what you do do in terms of your initial assessment on the patient and examination of the patient and kind of like you watch the vital signs change as you do certain Mm -hmm. things like if you give them you know things to decrease a fever you see the fever go down and stuff like that so it's quite cool quite interactive um there's only one of those stations naturally (laughs) but um that i hadn't had much experience with that before Bar one session with through the academy that I had joined, they kind of took us through what to expect because those Sim Man stations tend to be, they tend to be a set cert- only a certain list of scenarios. And so, from that point of view, okay. you kind of know what may come.
0: So, all right, I want to hone in on the plap two because it sounds interesting right you said it was a mixture of mannequins and uh, histories so were the history stations similar to or mbbs history stations where we're kind of just asking questions trying to hit points for you know like the or hpc or family history drug history and so and so and then kind of have a discussion about about what our differentials are or is it kind of a thing where you know you're just focusing on trying to find what the what the problem is or what your differentials are, and then going into treatment and management.
1: Okay, so it was more so... Um, so you're speaking to a, an actor, right, who has the symptoms or so, um, and you have... Well, I had the actor and an examiner in the one room, so there's the three of us in the room. So you take a focused history, usually, you know, surrounding the presenting complaint and... Um, how the patient got to that, you do ask some general questions, you know, trying to find if they have any other medical conditions and, or are they on any medication, but it's very quick, you don't have a lot of time. So it's definitely a focus history. It's not nothing extensive. Um, It's, I think, probably, I think, eight minutes in total. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they will talk to you uh, kind of about your management. But really, the difference is that The patient is going to ask you, okay, doc, so what do you think it is? What are you going to do for me? So you're essentially having to explain to the patient, okay, so based on what you've told me, I think it may be X, Y, Z. What I'm going to do for you now is this, 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 because actually the focus of the PLAB two exam is more so your communication skills and looking to see how you're able to communicate with patients. They already tested Mm -hmm. your academic knowledge in PLAB one. PLAB 2 is a lot more about communication, making the patient feel safe, um, feel secure, feel heard. Um, That's more so important than, um, you know, if you don't know something, for example, you don't know what the dose of the medication is, you say to the patient, okay, I'm going to check with my senior or I'm going to check my formulation guide or whatever.
0: So, and then when it comes to the examination portion, it's not really like, uh, is it a, Oh, this is how you do the recipe exam, kind of vibe, or is it the same thing where you're examining and you're trying to basically again find your differentials and then having a conversation again about how you would go about um, treating and managing that patient, or you know the same kind of. It's very um, different thing.
1: from. Um... Oh, sorry. It's yeah. It's very different from your examinations that you do in MBBS in terms of, you know, introducing yourself to the patient and then just going ahead and examining. There is actually a short, I guess, data data gatherings um, section before you examine. So um, the examination station I got, for example, was a patient that's coming with ear pain. So I was mm-hmm. asking them, you know, about the pain, what they were doing when it came on and stuff like that. And then I went and examined the, the mannequin, which was looking in the ear of the mannequin and realizing it was swimmer's ear. And then you tell the patient what you think um, it is. And then what is the, the treatment that you're going to recommend and the follow up that you're going to recommend for the patient. So it's different in that point of view.
0: I think this question is so silly, but if I'm wondering, I feel like someone else is also wondering as well. You had to bring your own instruments,
1: right? no, like you your don't. own
0: autoscope. You
1: really? No, you don't have to bring anything. They Everything is provided for you from a stethoscope all the way through. You don't have to bring anything but yourself to the exam.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. So we've talked about... You know the structure of the examination a little bit about i didn't ask you though i didn't ask though how long was the plab two portion
1: um so the plab two is definitely longer than plab one um i the difference is that i did my plab again during covid so usually it's around 200 minutes so that's how many hours
0: like three or 20 minutes three three
1: hours yeah so usually that's how long it is i i think hours was a little bit shorter because we had less stations because they took Mm -hmm. out a lot of the examination stations that would usually be there um so it was a little bit shorter i think maybe two and a half hours um but it went it went extremely quickly just like in any any <laughs> that you sit, it, it literally goes in the blink of an eye. And the, but there are rest stations and stuff in the same way
0: mm-hmm. when you do
1: MBBS oskis or regular oskis, there are rest stations during okay. the exam.
0: So all right, so we've gone through kind of like the logistics and the technicalities and i got a few questions because i did kind of put it out there that i was kind of doing this series and getting some information just almost as a starter guide for persons just so they can kind of get some information that is i geared to jamaicans or from the perspective of someone who had studied in jamaica or lived in jamaica or anything like that so that they can have some more information and i'm really hoping that a lot of this stuff will help the rest of the caribbean likely more the english-speaking caribbean that is still under kind of the ue structure but i'm still confident that lots of persons in the caribbean and possibly even other countries that do these exams may find benefit and persons had questions in terms of like what happens after plab does this is it another match thing does this mean that i can apply for a program what does plab do for me as a medical doctor in jamaica i'm wanting to go to the uk
1: okay so the first thing is why i would say that doing plab straight after mpbs is beneficial is because plab in its Strictest sense is essentially going to pass you for um, the grade of an SHO, okay? So that's what it's geared at, those persons who are junior doctors. So you're trying to get a placement in the Mm -hmm. UK as a junior doctor. So that's the whole point of it. Um, So you would then start out work as an SHO, but um, sometimes you don't have to work as an SHO depending on your... Experience. So, for example, if you've done internship and SHO and completed those, you could then apply for a job above the level of an SHO, which um, usually is what we call a non-training post or a bit like an MO, um, where you would, mm-hmm. it depends on what specialty you would want to do.
0: But it's not necessarily like going into a program.
1: No, because unlike USMLE, when you go straight into a residence position, well, technically as an intern, but within a residency, um, the difference is mm-hmm. that you, in all, pretty much all programs, you have to do like a common STEM first, which is usually for two or three years. So, for example, internal medicine, you would work as an internal medicine trainee for about two to three years, or for surgery, you work as a core surgical trainee for about two years. So essentially what that is, is just you kind of rotate through things and know that for sure this is what you want to do. And then you would then go into a subspecialty program, whether that's you know gastroenterology, neurology, cardiology, any of those things, um, you would join that program part afterwards. So the whole point of you doing the non-training posts, so to speak, is that it allows you to do a next set of exams, which is the board exams for the Royal Colleges. So that's Royal College of Physicians Mm -hmm. or Royal College of Surgeons, which you have to have passed certain steps of that in order to get into the residency in the first place. So why, why would you then do PLAB if you have to do those exams? I think that's what a lot of people ask.
0: Yeah. So that's the thing. So I know that in the conversation about going to the UK for a lot of persons, it's like, well, for example, if I, if I know I want to be a surgeon, why would I even bother to do PLAB and then go into this kind of SHOMO, um, position, and then again have to do the board exams, and then again go into a program. Is it? I know, for example, most persons tend to just well, not most persons. they are persons who are just saying, okay, let me just do the the board exams, especially if they're here in Jamaica or whatever country they're in, and they're already working in that specialty that they want to become, like a consultant in. So can they really just say, you know what, I'm going to do the board exams and then jump into this residency program?
1: So some people who, say, for example, are already working as a surgical resident within the Caribbean, it may not make sense for them to then go back to PLAB where they'd have to do questions from paediatrics, ONG, surgery, medicine. It may make more sense for them if they've chosen surgery as their specialty to then jump straight to the board exams in terms of doing MRCS. However, the issue is, is that you, having passed MRCS part one, you cannot get a job in the UK. You must pass MRCS part one, part two, and PACES before you can get into the residency. By doing PLAB, however, which is obviously the easier exam, the cheaper exam, you can then work and gain experience within the UK health system whilst, studying for those board exams so many people choose to do PLAB because it means they can get into the system start working there and building their profile as a person working within the NHS um, as well as earning in pounds which will then be able to contribute then to their board exams so um, some people choose to do it that way instead that's the kind of way I looked at it Um, Mm -hmm. I chose to do PLAB first so that I could get into the system and start working so that I could earn money in pounds so that I could do my next step, which is the board exams.
0: Okay. A lot of times people ask, you know, PLAB versus USMLE. And I think I want to add my own kind of thoughts to this question and say that this is a question that no one can really answer for you. And it really depends on what you want in life and and where you want to maybe live or the type of training that you want and i think what has happened in both of these or in these series of podcasts is that it's laid out in a way where you have some more information plus resources where you can look at it and say okay what is it that i want to do and then just with a quick Google search, I saw that PLAB is in fact, because someone asked where, what other countries accept PLAB, and I see where Australia accepts it. I saw where... New Zealand where as well. New Zealand, and I think some... Uh, Saudi Arabian just countries. It. Yes.
1: Qatar, those, Saudi Arabia, Emirates, Kuwait, those
0: kind so, of countries. Exactly. So those countries accept PLAB. um, And it, I guess it just really depends on what it is that you want but I don't know if you can add some thought to it or some what what are your opinions USMLE versus PLAB you know what what are your thoughts
1: definitely I mean I considered both of them so I don't want people to think that you know since I came from the UK I was always thinking about PLAB I was definitely looking at both sides. Obviously, for me, the pull is that I grew up in England and my family is there. So that's obviously one pulling factor. But the other part that um, pulled me towards doing PLAB instead was also about, you know, getting, being able to get a job in the UK and to be able to work while studying. Um, for the PLAB exam, I find that a lot of people for the US Emily have to take time out to be able to study appropriately for it. Um, Another thing is that for the PLAB exam, you have multiple attempts. So if you don't pass PLAB 1 on your first attempt, you have at least, I think, three more attempts at at that exam. And the same thing for PLAB 2 as well. There is also no scoring system attached to PLAB 1 or PLAB 2. Even though you do get a score in terms of your percentage, you either pass or you fail. Um, okay. So that was also uh, a good thing. Obviously, the cost was important as well. <laughs> um, and I found that, based on compared to those who I knew were preparing for US Emily, um, I found that the prep time for me for PLAB was a lot less. So in terms of, for example, for PLAB one, I initially wanted to, um, to do PLAB one immediately after MBBS. So that was in June time. Um, that never worked out because of the, um, the timing, well not the timing, more so the spaces available for that exam. So I did it in November, but I didn't feel that even with the struggles of just starting internship and stuff, I didn't feel like I had to study a whole heap because we had everything was kind of fresh still Mm -hmm. versus I knew people who wanted to do US Emily who were having to take off, you know, six months or a year to do their preparations for US Emily before flying out for the exam. Um, so yeah, that was definitely really important to me because I had to work. Um, so being able to work at the same time as studying without it significantly impacting me and my life and stuff, I mm-hmm. found was helpful. But that's me personally.
0: <laughs> Those are great points. Those are definitely great points and things that persons can think about. You spoke a little bit about getting a job in the UK. Uh, how do you? What are your opinions on the current job market over there?
1: Okay, so currently, um, given the whole Brexit thing, it actually works in the favour of those who are coming from places outside of the European Union. So there's actually a bit more space than usual um, in terms of job placements and such. Uh, I chose to go through a specific national recruitment, which is called the F2 Standalone Programme. Essentially, Mm -hmm. it is um, a placement for those who wish to do just the second part of the foundation program in the UK. So essentially, the way it works is that how we have internship and SHO within the Caribbean, they join those into one program, which is called the foundation program, which is split into a part one or a step one and a step two, foundation year one, foundation year two. So if you've already done internship, you kind of don't want to go back to the start all over again. I definitely didn't want to go back to the start. So I applied for the F2 standalone program, which is a national recruitment where Essentially you go through specific steps and rounds where um, I had to do interview and um, a situational judgment test and things like that. Um, And then you get based on, you get ranked according to how many applicants there are for that year, maybe it's like 3,000 people and your number, you know, top 50 or top 25 or whatever. Um, our Caribbean graduates tend to do pretty well because, you know, first of all, English, English is our first language, so that definitely puts people at an advantage, especially through interview processes and stuff like that. Um, So then based on where you rank, you then get offered an amount of jobs dependent on that. So this for this round, um, I was in top 25. So I had like 380 odd jobs that I could have picked from. And I just ranked Mm -hmm. the top ones that were close to where I live or close to where you want to be. And then um, you wait to see if they make you an offer or not. And, you know, my first choice gave me an offer and I accepted that offer. So um, it's kind of simple from that, from the way that um, it's kind of like an automated system. You don't have to search Mm -hmm. for the jobs individually yourself. There is like a recruitment process. So that's specifically for SHO placements. Um, For those who are looking for grades above SHO now, um, there is the NHS jobs website where Mm -hmm. advertisements are made. Um, You can also look at um, ads on places like LinkedIn as well, Um, but doing it through NHS jobs is usually easier because essentially just a big recruitment service for people who want to work in the NHS. So, you know, you fill in your generic application thing online Mm -hmm. and then from there your CV or whatever depending on which jobs you want to apply to will just be sent to those places you don't have to do extra work or search out or call hospitals or anything like that Um, so once the placements are there you can apply and then obviously the same interview process and um, selection and stuff from there so I found this this the whole process pretty simple and easy. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a cousin who um, had completed internship and SHO in Jamaica and was actually able to get um, a job above that level above SHO and I think above Mm -hmm. even the first grade of uh, core training because she had done six months in oncology. So she was able to get a higher paid job because the way things are structured in the UK is all based on how many years experience that you've had, you get put okay. in a different band of your salary. So it's not like, Oh, you know, you were, say, for example, you went to, wanted to go there to do a fellowship and you were a senior resident, you wouldn't be being paid at a MO one position, just because that's the job that they put you in, if that makes sense. Cause you would have more okay. experience than that. Um, so that's kind of helpful.
0: Um, that's great yeah <laughs> yeah so congrats on congrats on getting your first choice Thank you. um that's awesome i i was about to ask you because the exams are pass fail how did you or how can you really differentiate yourself from the crowd what it really sounds like in terms of your resume and in terms of the interviews and these interviews were they in i know it's covid time now but were they in person no, they're never, you, well, you can actually make a decision, well, pre-COVID,
1: you could make a decision uh-huh. to do it in person or to do it online via Skype. Um, obviously, it's now all online, but I don't yeah. think it really makes much of a difference because, you know, it's just questions being asked,
0: you know. Okay. And these questions were, like, about maybe you and your um, what you want to do, or were they, again, kind of situational stuff and having to do with medicine or a, a mixture?
1: It was a mixture of both. So you have two um, interviewers. So the first person kind of asking you more your personal things, you know, um, what things make you appropriate for the job, um, what procedural experience was it, which is where you know, having worked in the Caribbean, you know, we do a mm-hmm. lot of procedures. So I found that I was, I guess, a little bit more superior when it came to other applicants, based on that, because, you know, you can say you you can do things for yourself, you can do thoracic mm-hmm. sentences by yourself, which is obviously quite impressive, considering in the UK, as an intern, you probably wouldn't be doing those things. Yeah. So um, that obviously works in your favor, they ask you, you know, what your five-year goals and stuff like that and then after Mm -hmm. they ask you those kind of personal questions where you get to talk um, you then have the um, you then have the situational questions where i got three i remember it quite vividly (laughs) so (laughs) the first the first one i got was taught basically gives you a clinical scenario The first one I got was about a person who had had a heart attack. And it was just saying, you know, what would be your clinical approach to the patient? What medication Mm -hmm. would you want to give them? Why would you want to give them that? What long term management would you want for them, etc? So it's Mm
0: -hmm.
1: clinically based. So I had that one on the MI. I had a person with uh, an anaphylactic reaction. And then I had one which was more about social care. Um, where there was like an old lady with dementia and she came in with her husband, but she had like, seen seemed like non-accidental injuries to her body. So it was kind of testing you on your knowledge of the different services that are available to try and help those kind okay. of vulnerable persons. So it's a, definitely a very well-rounded interview um it's not just geared towards one strength of a person so even if you think that one of those sections doesn't go perfectly you at least Mm -hmm. usually have two more um that you can then do it and then they rank you based on your responses to those things basically awesome
0: did you need references
1: Yes, I had three references um, which I just used those who I'd interacted with in internship. So you just Mm -hmm. provide, you would ask them obviously, you provide their contact details, and then once you um, get through to the the offers stage of the recruitment, they would then contact your your references. So you don't have to do anything. Like I said, it's a completely automated system. Once you provide everything, they do all the background work.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I I know we had spoken about the visa process. I know you had said that you even though you you didn't necessarily have to go through it, that, you did have some information that could be useful and definitely resources that persons could go to that i am going i'm really gonna ask if like just anything that you found you can really just send them to me even not mentioned here and i will put everything in the show notes as much as i can so that you persons can have access to them um later on so just i know you said you did some research so i'm gonna (laughs) give you the floor to just let me know what you had found
1: Sure. So a lot of the information is present on the GovUK um, website. So anything you really need to search is kind of on that. <laughs> it's <is> making noise. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear. Um, so in terms of the visas, it really depends because obviously you can you could do the exam on a visitor's visa, um, which can go anywhere between six months two years, five years and ten years, I think, um, are the ones that Mm -hmm. are offered, um, allowing you to stay for a maximum of six months at a time. Um, And that is like your regular visiting visa if you were coming on holiday. Um, They have just changed the immigration system in the UK, which um, has now gone towards a points based system Essentially, that puts skilled workers such as doctors, qualified persons very high up on the list of desirability. So actually, the revamping of the system makes it easier for persons now who live abroad and are professionals and wish to work in the UK. It should make it easier for them now um, than it was before. If you're specifically working as a doctor, you can get something called a healthcare worker visa. Essentially, you once you're a qualified doctor and you're eligible to work in health or social care, um, you essentially just need a a certificate of sponsorship from your employer. So if you get a job in the UK, you just get a a certificate, which is essentially saying, yeah, we want you to work here (laughs) and then you should be able to apply for that visa and it can last up to five years and the benefit of that is that you can file for your partner and your children if that applies to anybody you can do voluntary work and study as well Um, and you can actually apply for um, settlement as a permanent citizen in the UK with something called um, a right to remain or indefinite leave to remain so essentially it's kind of like a citizenship um, but it's it's just allowing you to stay longer than just that five years because you have a job. So some people would do that, but I think I'm not sure about the intricacies in terms of whether you can get pension or what other healthcare benefits. I think you can, you don't have to get the healthcare surcharge, which essentially Some people who, when you come to work in the UK, you have to apply for this surcharge thing, which essentially allows you to access all the services at the NHS because it's a taxpayer's um, system, obviously. So if you're a person who's not paying tax or minimally giving to tax um, in the UK, then they won't allow you to just access the health system just like that. So usually they ask people to do a surcharge or essentially pay a yearly fee to have access to the NHS services. But if you get a healthcare workers' visa, they recognize the fact that obviously you're working in the NHS, it would be ridiculous to then make you have to pay to access the services where you work. So you're you become exempt from that. So that's a great benefit of a person getting the healthcare workers visa because Obviously, the NHS itself has a lot of services that are available and you can access those um, as a worker up to any, any grade. There was something that I was supposed to mention is that um, when you do the PLAB exam, you don't necessarily have to start working in the UK immediately. You can actually use your PLAB examination to gain um, full licensing in the UK, to be able to do a fellowship at a later time. So even if you do the exam straight after MBBS, and then you decide to do the DM program and go through to DM2, you can use the fact that you passed PLAB way back when um, to get your GMC licensing and do a fellowship instead. So it's cheaper easier to do so some people choose to do that instead of the board exams i had some people in my exam when i did it in canada who were obviously consultant grade um people they were much older than me um who were doing the exam so that was that was something i forgot to say so it's not you know do the exam and hurry up and leave and go to the go to the uk that's not necessarily the case you can do the exam put it down get your gmc licensing and then go to do you know a year or two years specialist fellowship after you finish gm program in caribbean so that's another thing you can do
0: awesome i this has been a very jam-packed podcast (laughs) Um you have shared so much information. I learned a lot. And I think a lot of misconceptions that I had and just knowledge that I just didn't have about plab. You really cleared it up. I think we're about uh, if with editing this is probably going to be a little over an hour. I'm sorry guys. I've been having over 60 minutes long podcast, but you know, it's all <laughs> useful information and exactly yeah it's it's really great because now you get to really have an understanding and get to know what your options are i really hope that persons will will be the word isn't inspired but educated and just have their eyes open and be like okay there is more out there there's more that i can do um, with my mbbs degree and especially i think a great take-home point is the fact that you can keep working and do these exams, which is awesome. You just kind of really have to think about how you're going to get the time off because hopefully the whole having to quarantine with COVID-19 will eventually just Peter listen, out. especially with being <laughs> vaccinated. Um, Correct. But I was really great. I'm so thankful you were very willing. to asked you on short notice to to great. share with me and to share with my audience and the rest of our colleagues information about this Um, I'm really grateful for that and I just want you to just kind of use the next part to to tell people how they can follow you if you want them to follow you if there is anything um, that you want to share you know maybe promote a business anything like that I'm going to give you the floor now to do that Um, and just have persons support you okay so if anybody wants
1: to ask me any further questions they can always follow me on instagram my ig handle is rsmith14 so you can look for me and follow me and i'm more than willing to answer any questions that you have um Also, I own a small medical supplies um, business, which is called Future Medical Supply Limited, um, which I've been running since 2014. Essentially, we um, have our partners at Lippmann and Welsh Allen, and we have worked really hard over those last few years to try and ensure that those students and medical professionals within the Caribbean get the quality products that they need. But at more affordable prices. So we have worked tirelessly since 2014 to ensure that you can get those products um, more affordably. We have orders that are going on right now, up until about August, and then from that point, the further dates will be announced. So yeah, you can go on our website, which is www.futurum. So F-U-T-U-R-U-M medicalsupply.com and just check us out um you can use our contact page there um to send us an email and we can respond to you with any queries that you have Thank you so much for having me, Sam. I really enjoyed it. I hope I've been able to help people with the information that they need about the club exam. I know it's a lot of information and it can be very hard to sift through all the things online. But as you said, ultimately, at the end of the day, you just need to pick what is right for you. Make sure you pick the right exam that suits you, your lifestyle and where you want to be going. Um, it's definitely an investment, but I don't regret it at all, so, yeah, thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here and thank you guys for listening um, share this with your friends. Share this with I guess anybody who you know is a doctor wants to be a doctor planning to be a doctor so that they can really know what their options are. I know that this podcast is gonna be coming out. Uh, after some huge news and some huge drama has hit jamaica and hit the news um the media with like you know jobs and um the amount of students being trained and all that jazz and i just want to say that you know now is the time to really look at your future and see the things that you can do to help put yourself in a better position and to not really we're no longer in that day and age where a lot of times it's just this automatic thing. And you also may just want to live somewhere else or experience something else or do fellowship somewhere else. So keep your options open and please just keep looking in at that, at these resources. Of course, you know, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe. That helps a lot. Leave a rating and leave a comment that really helps especially on apple Podcasts, share it if you want to reach out to me you can send me an email at thelaymansdoctor at gmail.com all spelled out my dms are open so you can dm me at thelaymansdr or you can send me a message through my website www.thelaymansdoctor.com no apostrophe on anything and until next time thank you so much for listening
1: okay fine let's do that again
0: (laughs) so (laughs) club okay (laughs) what does club stand for okay so (laughs) clubs (laughs) knowing my sister she's going to keep this in it though it makes us personable (laughs) we're real people we make real people mistakes Everyone just calls it plab.
1: Yeah, lit- literally, literally, the name of it makes no point. Makes no sense.
0: Exactly. Exactly.